Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 46 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today was a member of the tag team Coast to Coast for several years in Ring of Honor, but recently he's been turning a lot of heads as a singles wrestler. He is the human rocket, the ace of space, Leon St. Giovanni, better known as LSG. LSG, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. That was a long introduction there. That was a mouthful. Yeah, that was cool, though. I like it. Thank you. Keep that up. <laughs> I need Bobby Cruz to do that now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to step on the, the voice of Ring of Honor's uh, toes. But, but anyway, um, I ask a lot of our guests uh, what the bubble experience was like for them, and I've gotten a cross-section of answers to, man, it was the worst possible thing and I was bored out of my mind and nothing to do to other people who said oh it was great I got some alone time I got some things done you've been parts you've been a part of these bubbles uh what was it like for you well I was actually not part of the first one so I kind of got to see it from an outsider's perspective and actually heard a lot of things about it from other guys in the roster so I was really prepared I think you know I showed up I think at the first uh, I, I guess it was the second bubble taping that I was at and I was very prepared. I actually probably overpacked. <laughs> I had a ton of stuff with me. Uh, I brought like, you know, all kinds of uh, exercise equipment. And I think I brought way too many clothes <laughs> and books and stuff. But um, uh, the last the last uh, few tapings have been great. And um, I, I love the process. And I don't, actually don't mind being in there by myself and in the bubble. I think it's cool. And it's kind of like a, a good preparation for the tapings for me and just kind of reset and focus on, on uh, work. I think I saw one of the videos uh, from the bubble where you were actually getting your uh, COVID test being administered to you. Uh, doesn't seem like the most comfortable thing in the world, getting that thing stuck up your nose. It's, it's not, but I'm so used to it. I, I've actually been actively wrestling since probably June of 2020. I was actually one of the lucky guys I was able to wrestle during the pandemic. New Jersey was pretty open uh, as far as wrestling goes. So I was getting tested almost every single week. So I was, I'm like an expert at it at this point. <laughs> yes, you're, you're a veteran of the uh, swap. Oh, yeah. of the I think I've been tested maybe 30 plus times already. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I got to talk about, I mean, this is a perfect segue into 2020, uh, the pandemic and everything else. I mean, it was such a terrible year for, for just about everybody, but for you professionally, I mean, you just mentioned one one thing is you got to keep working while so many people couldn't in the wrestling business. But this was maybe your best year uh, of your career, at least the latter stages of it, for sure. And I think that's carried over into 2021. Uh, we saw a great match on TV recently, you and Tony Deppen. Uh, but your surge in Ring of Honor, I think, uh, really started with that pure rules match against Jay Lethal. Uh, which we saw on ROH TV a few months ago. You can still watch it on Honor Club. Um, 
how did you learn that you were getting that match with Jay? And uh, what were your initial thoughts when you're like, oh, you're going to be on the next set of tapings. And by the way, you're working Jay Lethal. Well, it's funny because I did not expect to go back to Ring of Honor. I wasn't really sure what my future, you know, was going to be like at Ring of Honor. I knew I had a good relationship with the company still. And obviously in my heart, I feel like it's my home. But after, I think it was a Nashville taping in February 2020, I, I just didn't know if or when I would ever be back. So when I got that call that I would be at the bubble, I was ecstatic. You know, I had just watched the pure tournament unfold and, um, I was super excited for what everyone was doing there. And I was like, you know, I want to be part of this. And I'm finally going to get the shot to do it on my own because, you know, everyone saw Coast to Coast. And I think the Ring of Honor fans just never got to see what I could do on my, on my own. I think maybe prior to that match with Lethal, I had maybe two or three singles matches ever in the last five years at Ring of Honor. So that week of the, of the taping, I actually had a different match planned. Uh, a different match schedule, but because of uh, COVID protocols and just to, to, for precautionary measures, it got changed and lethal ended up being my opponent, which people don't realize. So it was kind of just a, um, it, it was a huge moment for me when I found out that the match got changed because lethal is a guy that I've looked up to for years and years. He's a guy from New Jersey. He's a guy who grew up 10 minutes down the road from where I live right now. And he's a guy I look up to and somebody that I've always wanted to get in the ring with and, and test myself against. Wow, so I did not know that the original plan was not to face Jay. It's amazing how things like that just sometimes work out and can be such turning points in in one's career. Yeah, I think I found out the day before that the match had changed. So uh, my mind was in overdrive. You know, I had a whole different game plan going into the other match I had scheduled. And then when this one got, uh, you know, when I found out about this one, I was like, whoa, okay. Well, I I felt like I was ready, though. So. So, so, so Jay being who Jay is, the franchise of Ring of Honor, I think, um, and I mean this is no disrespect, but on paper I see, okay, Jay Lethal and LSG, all right, uh, Lethal over, um, you know, just what's the, how much time are they going to get? But you actually take Jay to a 15-minute draw. When you find out, okay, you're not just working Jay, but you're going to a time limit draw, what are your thoughts at that point? In my mind, I feel like that's uh, proof that they have faith in me. Um, they know what I'm capable of. Uh, Jay is a guy I've been in the ring with before. And he's a guy I've studied uh, for years and years. And I don't know if he's done the same for me. I, I doubt it. I highly doubt it. But uh, I use that to my advantage. And I, I saw that, you know, we were going to get that time. And I was going to just use every single moment of it um, to my advantage and just maximize every single second of, of that television time. And I think I did. Oh, for sure. And there's no doubt about it. I think that match really, um, you know, I think a lot of people understood that you were a talented guy, but so much of it is, you know, getting opportunities. And um, I think that was a chance for you to really open some people's eyes. Given that, that circumstance, though, um, where this is kind of almost like a sink or swim moment for you, because, you know, Jay Lethal doesn't have bad matches. So uh, going in the ring with a guy like that, that could be a lot of pressure. How did you approach it? Were, did you feel like, okay, this is, were you nervous at all? Like, man, I'm working with Jay and this is my chance and I got to kill it. Or were you just like happy about it? Like, man, this is finally my opportunity and I know I'm going to kill it. I was pretty confident in myself. You know, I, I felt very prepared going into it, especially like we said before, I had been wrestling a lot in 2020, so I, I didn't feel rusty at all. Yeah. Um, 
I felt like my conditioning was on point. I was ready to go. And uh, I just had to trust my instinct and trust my training and, and um, just believe that I was there for a reason. You know, you can't be in ring of honor if you can't hang. So I had to just remind myself that and try to throw out any doubt in my mind and just, just go into the end the match knowing that I could keep up. And I that's think I did. Great. Yeah. That's a great point on your part is that everyone in ring of honor is here for a reason. Uh, like, like you said, if, if you can't work, you're not going to be around ring of honor for very long. So no matter who you're in the ring against, whether it's a guy who has maybe less experience than you, or if it's a guy like Jay lethal, you know that you belong in the ring with whoever you're in there with, because like I said, you wouldn't be here. No one would be here if they, if they couldn't get it done bell to bell. That's the great thing about Ring of Honor. Uh, did Jay say anything to you? And I know we're pulling back the curtain here, but that's okay. That's what we do in the RH Strong podcast. Did Jay say anything to you before the match? Because obviously he has to know this is a huge moment for you. Did he say anything to relax you? Or, uh, and also after the match, did he give you any kind of feedback? Yeah. So Jay's, Jay's seen my progression over the years. He's seen where I came from. He saw you know, the ups and downs of coast to coast. And he saw what we went through. Um, and I think he just, but he knew, you know, we had that, we have the, had that connection. We've had those conversations in the past and he knew he, that I was a guy that just needed a break. I needed a, an opportunity to show what I could do. And I think he saw this as a moment to not only have a great match, but to elevate a younger talent, somebody who's the future of the company possibly. So, uh, and Jay is one of those guys that he's one of the most, um, unselfish people you'll ever ever meet in, in the wrestling industry and he's a guy that just looks towards the future and he's he's just always trying to build um, new stars around him and I think it just makes him even better and I think it it really cements his legacy as a leader there's no doubt about it I had this conversation with Jay when he was on the show uh, last year and Jay is so unselfish and so giving that he's told me that there are so many more matches where he wanted to put people over and, you know, people in charge had to say, what well, Jay, you can't lose every match, you know? So uh, yeah, he really does get that. He gets that uh, he's at a certain level and it doesn't hurt him to lose. And it only helps the people he's in the ring with, whether he puts them yeah. over or whether they go 15 minutes with him. It's the same. Right. And if we're, if we're really pulling back the curtain, it, it, it got to that point. We had that conversation about that because in his mind, you know, he, he, it doesn't hurt him to lose. And we, we spoke about this and he tried to push for it, but um, it also made sense to go to the limit and just to show that I could hang. And, and it, it's funny because the way the match ended up with me on top at the end, it, that wasn't supposed to be the case, um, but it ended up making everything work out better. And I think um, it kind of, it painted me in a different light to the fans. Uh, you know, they see me in control of the match in the last few minutes. And it really looked like it had, we had a, a couple more minutes, I could have won. Right. I, I really think it looked believable. Yeah. See, I I'm, I'm learning this for the first time. I thought the match was intentionally structured that way for it to end with you looking strong at the end. No, I think, I think I was supposed to be getting stretched with that, that figure four and, and then the time was going to run out, but it actually ended up working out a little differently than that. Yeah, I think the story that it ended up telling was uh, really worked for everybody because Jay ultimately got the judge's decision, mm -hmm. um, and which could have gone either way. But yeah, you, it's, one of those, it's one of those great things at the end where you don't know, would he have, because he did get to, if I recall now, you had him in a submission hole, but he did get to the ropes right before the bell rang, right? Yeah. 
Right. So, so he had gotten out of the hold anyway. So again, it kind of brought into what, what would have happened if there had been five more minutes or whatever, because obviously you were, you were on the offensive at that point. So um, was it, I got to ask you this though, because that match, obviously one of the biggest matches of your career, because of where we're at with the pandemic and everything else, the match takes place in an empty arena. Was that at all personally disappointing? Because I can only imagine the fans reaction as this match goes on and it's like, Hey man, like LSG is actually, you know, this might go the time limit and especially the way it built at the end on a personal level. You're like, man, I wish there would have been people here. You know, I'm, I'm 50, 50 on that. So part of me is a little disappointed because I think fans would have really enjoyed it because I, I mean, I'm looking back at, you know, experience of going as a fan. And I remember watching Nigel McGuinness uh, have a match with, with uh, Tyler Black, Seth Rollins at, at the time. And he, it was almost like a passing of the torch moment. And I'll never forget that it was one of my favorite ever. And I, I know what it did for me as a fan. And I can only imagine what it could have possibly done for a fan today had they been there in the arena watching me and Jay. Um, so part of that, you know, it's a little disappointing. But at the same time, I think having that kind of um, focus and not having the fans there and just only uh, honing in on your opponent, I think it just brings out a whole different level of intensity and, and like focus in, in our matches. And I, and I think everyone's killing it. And I think um, more than ever, people are getting to show their personality and just like their skill because I think they're just so focused on the matches and not worrying about anything else that um, the matches are just way more and more intense. Yeah, that's a different way to look at it. I, I didn't think of it, I guess, in those terms. Can you hear, I, I've talked to some other people that have worked these empty arena shows where they said that they can actually hear Ian and Caprice yeah. doing the commentary. Are, when you're, for you personally, when you're in there, are you just so in the zone that you're not hearing the background noise or do you actually hear it? And was it at all distracting to you? I am in the zone, but it's cool because you can tell what is kind of getting over just based on the commentary. You hear, you know, Ian freaking out or Caprice, you know, singing, Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. That, so it must've looked good. <laughs> had you ever had experience in a empty arena match before? Or was this the first time? <laughs> I mean, I've been on the Indies for a while. So a lot of these places are pretty empty. Well, you've been, you've had small crowds before, but have you literally been there where like they didn't let anybody, I don't, you said you were in some shows, um, were there ever any like shows inside like a dojo or the monster factory or anything where there, where they just did it for like YouTube or something and there were no people in there? Yeah, we've, you know, we've done a few of the, like that in, at the monster factory in the past. Um, I've also done, I did one a long time ago at a, at a school down in South Jersey where I met like guys like Matt Tremont and um, some other, some other guys from South Jersey. And we, we did a closed off taping, a big tournament. And I, I, that was probably my first experience with it. But like you kind of get um, a cool like fight club feel out of it. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to explain if you haven't done it, but it's a whole different energy, especially when you're trying to impress the, your your peers. You're not really trying to impress fans who are at ringside, right. but the people who are high level world class athletes. You mentioned something about getting a chance to um, really show your personality more uh, with this more intimate, empty arena setting, but also with the sit down interviews, which I think have just added so much. Uh, to the presentation of Ring of Honor Wrestling. You got a chance to to do that um, before the match with Jay and actually, you know, the match with Deppin and Kenny King. But the match with Jay, I thought the sit-down interview 
like I know you, I've talked to you before, but like, it doesn't seem like you've gotten a whole lot of mic time for you to sit down there and tell your story. Again, this, this match on paper could have been, it's what we call a cold match. There's no conflict with you and, and Jay. There's no story behind it. But that sit-down interview is the story. And we find out that, you know, you became a fan in 2005, and there's a picture of you and Jay. So it's real. Like, it's, it's a story, but it's a story so based in reality. Um, do you feel like you've always kind of had that ability to, to come across well in a speaking situation and you just never got the chance to do it? Or what was it like? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when I'm outside of the wrestling world, I'm speaking all the time, you know, I'm a, doing project management and, and, and hosting meetings and things like that. So for me, I've always wanted to get my voice out there. And even with Coast to Coast, we did a lot of uh, promos and videos that just never aired. They just got lost. And I, I don't know where they went. Um, so I feel like that's why I shot on my phone backstage. <laughs> There's a lot out there that just never saw the light of day. Yeah. So, Fans, you know, it's funny in 2021, that's the first time they're hearing me speak. But you know what? There's no better time than now to just show them who I am. So uh, I, I love the style of interview that we're doing right now because I think it honestly it benefits me too because it's kind of like this long form storytelling where we can really dive deep into our backgrounds. And I think my story is very unique. It's not, I don't think there's anyone else on the roster who's shared the same experience as me. I was going to Ring of Honor shows for, you know, probably three years, everyone that I can get to in Philadelphia, New York, or New Jersey, I was there. So, like I said, I don't think people realize it, but Ring of Honor was molding this future wrestler just, by, you know, by me being there in the crowd. Uh, and I would just imagine myself being in the ring there. So for me to be able to tell that story, uh, because that, it's something you really can't fit into a 30 second backstage segment. Uh, I think having these really well-produced promos is, is helping tell our stories. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think if I'm a longtime Ring of Honor fan, I'm certainly familiar with who you are. And I've, I've seen you with, uh, you know, with Ali and Coast to Coast. And I've, hey, man, he, he's good in the ring and, you know, all that stuff. He's exciting. But I don't, really, I don't really connect with him. I don't really feel like I know him. And in that three-minute sit-down interview, it was like I learned more about you and I think the fans learned more about you and had more reason to care about you um, than they had in the previous five years which is, it's just like, why didn't we think of this? Why didn't we think of this more that sooner? Yeah, it happens. I mean, it happens. <laughs> well, you know, another match you had since the restart in a ring of honor was against Kenny King. And like Jay, that's a guy that you've been in the ring with, but never really in a one-on-one -on -one situation. So what was that match like for you working with another veteran like Kenny King? Again, a guy you've been around for years, been in the ring a handful of times, but never really got to work one-on-one. -on -one. It's funny because Kenny is a guy I look at more like a big brother. You know, he's like that, that big older brother that like um, he teases you and picks on you, but he's, he loves you at the same time. And, and he always looks out for me. And we've had great conversations in the past and, and just traveled, you know, all over the country now with Ring of Honor. But we had never wrestled one-on-one. -on -one. And it was kind of that moment. It's like, okay, well, Gio, like I've known you for years, but can you keep up with me? It was one of those scenarios like, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not that little kid anymore that, you know, he would mess around with and, and pick on and, and tease and stuff like that. So I think there was more to it than just what I think people saw on, on TV. Kenny is such a great promo. He had, I mean, you talk about somebody who is thriving also in these sit down situations. 
Kenny's one of the best, I think, in the business. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he really is on the mic. So smooth on the mic. But, man, he had a great line in that sit-down interview. He's like, kid, I'm going to treat you like gum on the bottom of my shoe. It's <laughs> like, damn, Kenny, that's, that's harsh. That's stiff. But, man, it just, it, it, again, it just built up. And, again, it told the story of, you know, his story and where he was in his career and where you were in your career. And, once again, quote-unquote cold match. Now, all of a sudden, after those two sit-downs, I want to see you guys go at it. So, like I said, just I, I, I can't say enough about it. And, and, and I'm really happy that it's presented a, an opportunity for a guy like you who now we find out you have the verbal skills. You have a good background story. And it's not just, hey, he's a good hand. Cause I'm you, have you heard that? Like, Oh, you're really good in the ring, but. I heard that. I heard that when I first joined the monster factory, that was the, uh, my day one critique was, yeah, you'll be a good hand. <laughs> and I was like, well, that, I, that never left me. And I was like, okay, well, you, that's what you think. All right. I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. That's like the worst. Um, it's like the biggest backhanded compliment, right? You can yeah. get it. It's like, yeah, you'll always have a great match, but you'll probably be putting your opponent over. But you know, it's like, yeah, nobody wants to hear that. No. At the time, I was like, wait, what did he just say? Was that? <laughs> but I took that, I took that as a motivational tool. Yeah. It's like a good hand will, a good hand will always have a job, uh, but he'll be doing a lot of jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to ask you about, again, we're talking about the, the great uh, year you've had in 2020 and so far in 2021. You've been in Ring of Honor, like we said. I think you debuted in 2015, but you would never work the final battle, right, until 2020? Correct. Every so, year, sitting on the sidelines. It was rough. Okay, what, what, what is that like now? Um, and I know you've told the story publicly that you went to final battle in 2005 in Edison, New Jersey. And that was really a big turning point for you um, as far as the, the direction that you wanted to go uh, with your life. So, you know, here it is 15 years later. You've been in Ring of Honor five years. You're on your first final battle show. What's going through your mind? It was a sink or swim moment, you know, it's full, and it was full circle too, because that final battle I went to was actually the first, my first exposure to Ring of Honor. I had never seen Ring of Honor before, never heard of it until I had showed up to that building just because I loved wrestling and I wanted to go check out a local show. It was in my hometown. So getting that opportunity 15 years later is just mind blowing. And I, I just knew there was no way I could, I could uh, blow it. I, I mean, in my, in my heart, I feel like I came up short and obviously I did. I didn't have that moment. I wanted that match with Dragon Lee. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I look back at it and I think I'm proud of myself because how many people get to say that they, you know, had this dream and actually fulfilled it in some, in some capacity. And like, obviously this, I'm far from, from done and there's so much I want to do, but I can look back and be happy with myself that I got to that point and actually had a match of final battle, you know, and, I wish I could tell my, my teenage self, like, things are going to be okay. You're going to do great. Like, whatever you decide to do with your life, like, you're going to be, you're going to make it someday. So, <laughs> you know, I was a little disappointed with the outcome with, you know, with Tony stealing it, but um, I, I am deep down happy about it. Well, it was a great moment for you, like you said, just to be um, on the card in a, in, a, in, a, in a cool match that people really liked. Um, and yet you didn't get that match with Dragon Lee, which obviously would have been, you know, made it so much more memorable. But it did tell a story again. Uh, it gave you a place to go right after that because you were in control. You were about to win the match. Tony Deppen steals it. Now we've got an issue with you and Tony, which you, again, the sit-down interviews, you could tell 
which is based in some reality, how a guy who, you know, you've been around here for five years. Tony hasn't. He just came in. Tony's got a big online following, and a lot of people wanted – that's why he was on the show. And he gets the match against Dragon Lee. So I feel like – not that there's any real heat with you and Tony Deppin, but it's certainly a story that you can tell that comes from a real place. Yeah, I, I've known Tony for years and years and years. And like you said, we know, we've known each other since the days of, like, backyard wrestling and things like that. But it's funny. We took two very, very different paths in, in, in life, uh, and this is where we're meeting again, you know. Um, and I trust me, I, I see everything that Tony's been doing, and I see the, I see all the work he's done and the following. That his fans are rabid, and you know he deserved a spot, and that's great, uh, great for him. But at the same time, like I'm, I've been here too long to let people just come in and just walk all over me or just you know leapfrog right over me uh, to say you know. But um, so there there is reality in it, and there's no heat there. There's no real heat there, but. Uh, as a professional and as a, as a person, as a man, like I, I'm not going to let people just walk all over me and, and walk right past me. Right. And it certainly gives you a place uh, that comes from, uh, like I said, reality that when you do that sit down interview, yeah, that can come out and that can tell the story. So it's always, you know, I think anytime anything's rooted in reality in some, to some form, to some extent uh, you can, you can amplify that. And again, it makes people want to see the match again, like LSG and Tony Deppin. Wow. That's going to be a great match. Why are they fighting? Oh, that's why they're fighting. Now I want to see the match. So. All right. Well, we're going to, we're just getting started here. So much to go through. Um, we're going to take our first break and then we'll be back with more with LSG right after this. Hi guys, Seshamut Martina here, here to tell you about Ring of Honor's brand new merchandising store, shophonor.com. You can go there and you can get really cool jumpers like the one I'm wearing now, or you could go and get all Seshamut Martina's merchandise and help me afford cans. Check it out now. Hey Honor Nation. Check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the RH Strong Podcast. My guest is LSG. You mentioned backyard wrestling, and I wanted to talk to you about that because just that term, backyard wrestling, as you know, does carry uh, a stigma. Uh, you know, don't try this at home is what we were told in the 90s, which was probably good advice for most people. Um, how did you get into backyard wrestling? At what age? Oh, man, I was, I was a teenager. <laughs> but I think this was kind of like the advent of the YouTube era where kids were just looking to post things on YouTube and just record themselves. And everyone had some kind of camera, some little kind of, you know, uh, cheap camera because it was a lot more accessible. You know, we weren't, you know, relying on like old school tape cameras. We, everyone had a, some kind of digital camera and people just wanted to film things. And I think also like, I, I'm sure like the era of jackass and, and just having like, uh, people doing stunts uh, and posting them online really helped. And I think kids in my generation just wanted to film stuff and just have fun. Um, and at the time, 
you know, when I was a teenager doing backyard wrestling, I didn't, I never thought I was going to be a wrestler. Like I, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to play baseball and I'm, I'm playing baseball in high school. I'm going to take it to a, a different level. And I'm playing travel ball all year round. And even in the winter months, like I'm still, I'm training for baseball, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to have fun doing backyard wrestling. Cause why the hell not? I'm hanging out with my brother and my cousins and friends and we're just goofing off and, ha- you know, um, <laughs> but then, you know, it's funny, like, I started meeting guys and uh, like uh, other other backyard wrestlers from New Jersey, and I'm I'm thinking, okay, this is like a this big scene of backyard wrestling, which is insane. But um, then I started seeing guys that who were really good and actually started to do it professionally. I'm like, all right, well, I guess maybe maybe this is like the uh, introduction to like actually doing pro wrestling. And <laughs> I met a few guys, and and actually that's how I I got my break in wrestling. I met a few local professional wrestlers through backyard wrestling and then that's how I, I i got like my first training sessions and just got the feel of a ring and, and all that uh it's it's a it's a wacky story but i think now more than ever it's not looked at as negatively as it used to be like i'd say 75 percent of the guys that i wrestle with now they did some kind of backyard wrestling in the past and i'm not going to name names but former ring of honor champions and things like that they, they've all done it wow yeah, <laughs> I don't know if the percentage, was, really know if the percentage was that high. Oh yeah, very high. Uh, what I was, was going to ask you, and I asked uh, Tony Deppin when he was on the show a few weeks ago, is is was there a stigma when you started on the indies, and maybe you're working with guys who look down upon, you know, people who maybe weren't formally trained and came from this backyard uh, movement? Uh, did did you get any kind of, you know, feeling like that, like you don't really belong here? Well, I mean, when I decided to, to jump to professional wrestling and actually go get trained, I was like, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. It's, that's the past. And I know I have to get trained properly and all that. So I, I, I've seen guys take shortcuts and that's just not, that's not the way I, I live and handle my business. Um, and I knew there was a stigma. So that's not something I talked about for years and years and years. I pretended that never happened. I never did any kind of back at wrestling because I knew it was looked down upon. Um, but once I, you know, I was formally trained. I've, you know, I've, I've trained at some great school, great uh, wrestling schools, and and, um, and now at this point, I laugh about it, and I don't, I don't think poorly of it. I just think if anybody listening out there, if you, that's what you do, but you want to be a pro wrestler, at some point, you got to stop and take it seriously. You know, you got to go to a real wrestling school. That's the only way you're really going to be taken seriously. Yeah, that's 100% great advice. At some point, you got to, you got to graduate from the backyards and into yeah, exactly into a real wrestling school. Um, you mentioned though, that you were into baseball and I know from listening to your sit down interviews, I know that was really your first passion. W- was that a dream to become a professional baseball player? Did you, I mean, were you good enough in your mind to, to make it on that level? I think I was on the right path and then wrestling kind of, uh, hijacked that. <laughs> I think my, I could, I could tell too, cause my, so my dad was, was really good and you know, he tried, he had lots of trials for major league teams and stuff. He was a pitcher. And I think his, his dream for me was to be a baseball player. So as my love for wrestling started growing and this, this like dream started snowballing, um, like I guess my focus for rest, for baseball kind of dwindled a little, little bit. And I could tell in his heart, he was like, ah, yeah, he's done with baseball. <laughs> what did so he I think, think of wrestling? What was that? What did he think of wrestling? I, I you know, 
he probably thought it was a joke. And it's funny, he didn't, I don't think he really believed that this was legit until he saw me at Madison Square Garden. In <laughs> um, his mind, you know, he thought this was a hobby and I, this is some kind of phase I would grow out of. But I don't think he could deny that when I walk out in, in front of 20,000 people uh, that this is not a hobby. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the baseball, that was something I dreamed about doing as a kid. And I think also there's that pressure when you're, when you're a kid that you want to make your parents happy and my mom's a softball player. My dad was a really high-level baseball player. You just want to live up to their expectations. But at some point, you need to carve your own path. You can't live for somebody else. And I think once I discovered that wrestling was something I could do with my future, I think that, you know, that love for baseball, it's always there, but um, the focus just dwindled. Okay. Yeah, I, I get that. Like, um, man, you, you definitely had the genes. I didn't – your mom's a softball player. Your dad was a big time or, or had chances to make it in the, in the big leagues as a baseball player. So, yeah, I could see where you would have that natural inclination to want to follow in those footsteps. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately your passion is your passion. You got to do it. It's, it's great that they ultimately, you know, you had people who supported you in your yeah. dream. Was, were, they, yeah. were your parents at the garden when you went for G1 Supercard? Yeah, they were. My, my mom and my dad were there. My brother was there. And it was surreal. It was just kind of like showing them all the sacrifice, all the missed parties and, and family events and, and injuries and things like that were all worth, worth it in the end. It's kind of proof like here, this is all the hard work. This is where it's led me to. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any more legit than coming out at Madison Square Garden in front of, you know, whatever, 20,000 people or whatever were there. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a pretty good stamp of approval, I would say, to, to put on a career choice. <laughs> Um, I want to ask you about, uh, you decide, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You, you know, you, you go from the backyard wrestling scene, you decide that you want to get trained. How do you go about finding a wrestling school and how did you end up at the monster factory? Well, I had a buddy from high school. Um, he actually did some, he did a little bit of backyard wrestling, but he was, he was on the baseball team too. And he wanted to go get trained. So he actually went to a wrestling, he went to a wrestling school in North Jersey. It's called the ACE Academy. It's actually where Jay Lethal was from and uh, AJ Lee. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy's going to go. I mean, okay, that's kind of crazy. I didn't think he was actually going to do this. This is like, this is nuts. But you know what? I'll, I'll tag along and I'll go check it out. I'll go watch and support him. And when he was in the ring and I see him doing the drills, I was like, you know what? I was like, I think I can do this. Like, I can, I can totally do this. I'm an athlete. Like I can keep up and, you know, <laughs> and then I, I think a few sessions later, I, they actually let me get in the ring and I kind of did some, some basic stuff running the ropes and, and doing some of the rolls and things. And I was like, wow, this is, um, this feels right. And unfortunately that school closed down a few months later. So my friend and I, uh, we were forced to kind of jump around from school to school. We were every, every week we were just going to a different, cause I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the scene in New Jersey, but there's so many wrestling schools around here. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, there's places down in South Jersey or we would go to CZW down in Philadelphia and we were just jumping around and just learning from everybody at the time. And every kind, every seminar that there was, we were there. Um, got to learn from a lot of great people those first, like first two years of wrestling. But at the same time, we didn't have a stable home. We didn't have a program to stick to. And that's when I needed to just find a, find a place to, to, you know, plant my feet and, and uh, get on a, on a really solid foundation in a program. And that's when I got to the Monster Factory. I think Gerald Briscoe was doing a seminar and I was like, well, I got to do that. 
And once I got there and I checked out the school, I was like, you know, this is the right spot for me. This is, um, they treat it like a sport. They treat it. I, I'm used to this. The way they're training is the way is what I'm used to from baseball. And it's very regimented. And I knew that they were serious about creating, um, wrestlers who want to have a career. And, um, I think that's just, that was what motivated me to stay there. How do you end up then at the ROH dojo? Well, I had been at the Monster Factory for maybe a year and a half, and Kevin Kelly came in to do a promo seminar. And he took a liking to me, Shaheem, Ian, and, and Damian Priest, um, or Punishment Martinez in, in Ring of Honor. And he said, you know what, guys? Like, Why don't you try out for Ring of Honor? We have a tryout coming up. Why don't you give it a shot? And I was like, no way. Like, There's no way I'm ready for that. This is back in 2014. I'm like, I, I don't feel ready. He says, you'll do fine. And what's the worst that can happen? You just learn from some of the best wrestlers in the world and you could take that and do what you want with it. So we all decided, you know what, let's go do the seminar. Let's do the tryout. And it worked out really well. I mean, obviously it got nose across the board, you know, I wasn't ready, but I also got that invite to stick around and, and train at, at the ring honor dojo with, with delirious and guys like cheeseburger and Will Ferrara, uh, Rhett Titus. And it was a great experience you know, this is back in 2014, 2015, where I was there all the time and just getting a different perspective on wrestling. So that's how, that's how it happened. I, I wanted to be there. So I made it happen. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of guys do the tryouts. They get discouraged and never show up again. Yeah. But I saw that as a motivational um, tool to just, you know, get my foot in the door and, and work towards a goal. I knew what I had to work on. And every week we're just working on different things just to elevate my game. Well, I'm glad you brought that up about how you got nose across the board, because that's the thing I think people need to understand is it's not easy to get into Ring of Honor. It's actually pretty damn hard. And you were certainly not alone as far as talented wrestlers who ended up making something of themselves who their first time were told no. Maybe even their second time were told no, but they stuck with it. And ultimately, you know, I'm a firm believer that talent will win out and the cream rises to the crop. <laughs> the cream rises to the top. Uh, all those cliches. Um, but I, I think it's true. So I think you were in good company there. And, and, and obviously, I think a lot of it, too, is not only do they want to see you keep um, improving, but, you know, do you will you come back after you're told no? And how much do you really want it? I think there's a lot of that that goes into it. Mm -hmm. So I know you came back in 2015. You had a few dark matches, a handful of them. And then in 2016, you're part of the top prospect tournament. And so I want to go back and look at that. You had Action Ortiz in the first round. You lost your first match. I did. Now, no offense to Action Ortiz, but he hasn't had a match in Ring of Honor since that tournament. And uh, there were eight guys in that tournament. Four of them, only four, stuck around, which was you and Ali and Leo Rush who won it. And, of course, Punishment Martinez, the former Damian Priest. Um, I want to ask you, though, were you disappointed that you were one and done in that tournament? Or did you just see it as a chance to really to show what you can do on Ring of Honor television? And, um, you know, it was sort of just the next step in your development. It's not all about winning the top prospect tournament. It's about making an impression. Yeah. Uh, I was a little disappointed in myself and my performance um, but at the same time, I knew that this was just the first step. I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't going to be told no forever, as long as I put in the work. And, you know, I saw it as a learning experience and I, I looked back at it and 
I'm proud of what I did. Um, but I knew there was more work to be done. And I, I, to be honest, I think I did actually a couple more tryouts after that. I kept doing it. Yeah. I didn't care. I was like, you know, I'm going to keep showing up to these and until they, until I get some yeses, even, even though they threw me in the tournament. Um, I, I want yeses all across the board and that, that's how I'm, that's when I'm going to be happy. Um, so for me, it was just, just a, it was just another step in the process. I, I didn't, I didn't look at it as a complete failure. I've seen guys, like you said, they do the tournament, uh, they don't win or whatever, and they just disappear. You never see them again. Yep. I knew that was not going to be, you know, my path. It was just going to be another step. Yeah, there's some great alumni from the top prospect tournament, many of whom did not win or, or, or were one and done. You know, guys like Jonathan Gresham and, you know, Dalton Castle, people who went on to become world champions, pure champions, world tag team champions. So I've, I've looked at it almost as like, it kind of reminds me of WWE Tough Enough in a way that the people who don't win it almost have better careers than the people who do. <laughs> Sometimes. And a lot of times the people who don't make, who lose or whatever, yeah, they're the ones who really, really want to be there and they'll find a way. That's, that's the way I look at it. It's like, it didn't, it didn't work out in the tournament, but I will find a way. So let's talk about Shaheem Ali, yeah. uh, your longtime tag partner uh, as coast to coast. You guys first met at the monster factory, correct? Correct. But you weren't a tag team until you got to Ring of Honor, right? Someone said, hey, I want to see you guys. It's not like you and Ali got together, right, and said, hey, let's be a tag team. Someone said, hey, we want you guys to be a tag team, right? Yeah, we kind of got thrown together. So I met him at the Monster Factory. He was actually part of another tag team. I was doing my own thing. I was a singles wrestler. He was doing a whole, like, um, kind of – it was called uh, – what was they called? But they kind of did, like, a party game. They come out dancing and having fun. And – I never in a million years would have thought I tagged with them, that I would tag with them, or even, you know, travel the world with them. But we got to the Ring of Honor dojo. We both had that same, I guess, goal to, to make it in Ring of Honor. And we were training together a lot more often. And I think when we got on the road to do some, you know, ring crew with Ring of Honor, we got thrown together a few times. And I think that my first ever match actually was, was a six-man tag, and we, we tagged together. Kevin, Kevin Kelly picked us out from all the guys that were in Tennessee and we were like, you know what? We kind of have some chemistry here. Why don't we actually run with this? You know, we got thrown together a few more times and you know, we're like, let's actually focus on being a tag team. Maybe, there, maybe right now in 2015 or 2016, there isn't room for us as singles wrestlers, but why not team up? Look at all the tag teams here. Obviously ring of honor takes tag team wrestling very seriously. And we can learn a lot from these people. So we decided to just give it a shot. And for a long time, we didn't have a name or anything like that, but we were just working our asses off as a tag team and just training and training and training together all the time because we're, you know, we're going to carve a space out for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's, again, that's sort of making the best of any situation that you're put in. Like you said, you didn't see yourself as a tag team wrestler. No. You were always a singles wrestler. What, was there an adjustment just from that standpoint of always being on your own and then suddenly, I mean, tag team wrestling, is, it's a different animal. Uh, there's a different approach to it. What, was there any kind of transition period that you had to go through as far as mindset or anything else from singles to tag team? Oh yeah. I, <laughs> you know, to be honest, before tagging with him, I didn't have a lot of tag team experience before that. And I was really learning kind of like on the fly, learning on the job. And I've said it before, I, I was in there with, with teams like War Machine and uh, Best Friends and guys like that. And we were learning as we were doing it in front of a live crowd 
And it's pretty insane to say that, but I think that was probably the best way for us to learn. Um, it, it was, it was nuts and it was very nerve wracking. I was, I was always on edge about it because I was like, you know what? Like these are the best teams in the world and like we've barely tagged together, but you know, it's, it's like put up or shut up and we had to learn on the spot. Yeah. I mean, what talk about being thrown into the deep end of the pool, right? Because as you said, I mean, tag team wrestling has always been a big part of ring of honor and some of the best tag teams, just some of the ones that you mentioned. And uh, yeah, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to win very, very many of those matches, but man, just being in there working with those great tag teams, you know, it's just like anything where, you know, the cliche that's true is you only get better by working with people better than you. And that's in any profession, really any sport, certainly in wrestling. So, um, yeah, just like you're, a, you're under the learning tree with some of the best at that point. So that's a good place to take our second break right now. And then we're going to talk more about uh, Coast to Coast and uh, eventually Coast to Coast going their separate ways and, and we'll come full circle to where you are right now. So let's take that break. We'll be back with more with LSG. I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ringofhonor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is LSG. Right before the break, we started talking about Coast to Coast, team of LSG and Shaheem Ali. Uh, you mentioned some of those great tag teams that you worked with, and um, a lot of that took place in 2017. Uh, we mentioned some of them, Young Bucks, uh, Kingdom, War Machine, The Addiction, uh, Daniels and Kazarian. And the storyline was that you guys were on the verge all of these matches were competitive, but you, you just couldn't get over the hump, right? But you, you really proved your worth by taking these teams to the limit. And then the story came up that if you don't win your next match, you and Ali are breaking up. And then we find out that that match is against War Machine. Uh, two badass wrestlers, Hanson and Rowe. And the thought is, like, I know as a fan, people are like, wow, I guess – I guess Ali and LSG are breaking up because we know they're not winning this match. But I thought that match was so good. It just told such a great story. You guys did prevail at the end. And it wasn't, oh, a slip on a banana peel. Uh, I mean, those guys really put you over. What are your memories of that match? Man, that was, that was a huge turning point in my career. That was the first massive win that we ever had. And... The, the fact that we got to have their last match before they went on to, you know, to WWE was just incredible. And it was an honor to do that. And working with those guys was awesome. It, and what was so cool was that I think if we rewind a year back from that, from that match, we wrestled them in Baltimore and it killed us. So it was like night and day, the progression that we had, you know, that all the buildup and experience led to this match. And we weren't the same two young guys that they wrestled, you know, a year before that. Um, and I think that night we opened a lot of eyes and what better way to do it in like our home crowd. You know, I'm not from Philadelphia. Shaheem is, but a lot of those fans have seen me work for years at the monster factory that, you know, that South Jersey, uh, fan base has been following me for years. 
So they were all there, all making noise, and, and they loved me and Shaheem. And I think that was like the perfect night to just have that turning point. And I remember like the match ended, I, I went to the back and I went out to the parking lot and I like broke down. I was like, damn. I, I had been there a lot of times as a, you know, as a teenager at the 2300 arena. And I, like, that was my, my moment there. Our moment, we did it together. And I was just like, damn, this is, this is what it, this is how it feels to like, to, to really, not, you know, not just win, you know, in a match, but just have a nice career win. And I felt like it was like those first couple years at Ring of Honor all led to this moment. It seemed to me as I was watching it that Hanson and Rowe, as you mentioned, this was their final match before everyone knew or a lot of people knew they were leaving the company at that point. So, of course, they're going to do the honors uh, on the way out. But again, the way that it happened, it was a very competitive match. You guys legit won at the end. It seemed to me that they really understood that what, what their purpose was in that match. And it seemed like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they were really happy to do the favor for you guys. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, what it seemed like. I think, like, like Jay, they were very uh, unselfish, and they wanted to leave Ring of Honor better than how they left it. So um, I think they just wanted to put us over and, and make sure that the tag team division was in good hands with a, with a fresh new team. So I'll always be indebted to them and, and grateful for what they did to us. Yeah, I think that's a testament to them, to them for sure, because, you know, obviously, you know, not everybody has that same mindset. No, not and, at all. And they're leaving and they could have been like, yeah, you know, they could have done whatever on the way out the door and, yep. and they chose to do the right thing. So that was that was great to see that again, winning and losing. It matters. But at the big scheme of things, it's not like they weren't going to still go to WWE. <laughs> right. They were still going to get, you know, be who they were. But you guys were staying, and it certainly was a great launching point for you. So you carried that momentum into 2018. Man, you guys, at that point, like, you're beating the Motor City Machine Guns, the Kingdom, the Bouncers. And then you had a really good um, match against the Briscoes for the ROH World Tag Team Championship. So you guys are now, you're firmly established in this great tag team division as a team that could hang with anybody. You could beat a lot of these great teams and you could almost beat uh, the Briscoes. So, man, it just seemed like that was really the launching point. But ultimately, I guess it didn't quite get to somewhere along the way. The momentum stalled. It did. It did. And it's unfortunate because after that match, um, it was time for us to leave. And we went to Germany for an excursion for two months. And actually, I feel like that's what we really got good. Uh, you know, in 2018, we were we were getting better and better and better. But it wasn't until we got to Germany and got to train together and live together and do everything together. And we wrestled maybe like 15 or 16 matches. Uh, we were wrestling every weekend that we really got to to like get to a new level. So we were so excited to come back home and show everything that we had learned and, and perfected. And then we came home and it was a completely different landscape. And it was just like everything fell apart. And Coast to Coast was like doomed at that point. I was like, this sucks because we had put in so much work. The last time the American fans had seen us was against the Briscoes in, an, in a really good match. And we felt like we had so much more to prove. And 2019 was just a, a massive failure. Well, you mentioned working for WXW in Germany. And um, I think excursions, I always think, are, are very cool. You know, we've seen a lot of those with guys from Ring of Honor, New Japan, CMLL. 
where you go and you work for several months, at, you know, someplace else in another country. And it really, you know, you learn a different style. You get to, like you said, bond if you're a tag team on the road. And, and um, I think excursions are really helpful. Maybe the, t- the timing of this one, as it turned out, maybe not so much. But uh, I know in talking to you that wrestling in Germany actually had a special meaning for you. Uh, beyond just getting the experience in the excursion, had a personal meaning. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, so a lot of people don't realize I was actually born in Germany. So uh, and unfortunately, I left when I was a baby because my, my dad was no longer in the, in the military. That's why we were there. So I think growing up, I always wanted to go back and just see where I was from, see where I was born and, and kind of experience some of the culture because I had only seen it you know, secondhand through pictures or just stories that my parents would tell me. And I made it a point that one day I would go there. Whether I mean, I, and if I could do it for wrestling, even better. So when I got the the email from WXW that they wanted us for their you know their tag team tournament and um, this 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 uh, excursion, I was ecstatic. And uh, people don't realize that also this was not brokered through Ring of Honor. This was like us hustling and just trying to get ourselves out there because we're like you know what, um, we need to expand. We need to get a bigger fan base. We need to get uh, some exposure outside of ring of honor. And so we got out there and we did our thing and it was just a great moment for me. And just, um, I got to experience a culture for, for two months straight, just living in it. I had a little bit of culture shock, but so worth it. And, um, that WXW family is just always going to be special to me. And I hope to go back one day. It had to be a very cool experience for sure. I know you, you talked about just, you get to learn a different style. And I think, um, you got to work with like a lot of mat-based wrestlers, right? So you expanded your repertoire and, and kind of your knowledge, which you can then bring back and sort of use when you need it. Uh, maybe that helped you in the, in the pure wrestling. I, I yeah, don't know. People don't realize I, I was there training with Timothy Thatcher and, and Fred Gehi. Uh, yeah. That's actually where I met Fred for the first time. We were roommates. Okay. Oh, it's pretty cool. First, you know, full circle moment. He, now he's here in Ring of Honor, so... Uh, we had some good times out there. And Timothy Thatcher, if you've seen him work, he's fantastic. Um, and he, he taught us a lot. And he kind of really, really, you know, put pressure on us to, to treat this a little bit differently. And, and um, we learned a lot of mat wrestling. And just the way we went about training was just totally different than anything I had ever done. But uh, it was a great experience. Just uh, talking about the frustrations of, of 2019, if you had to look back and reflect on it, what do you think, what set of factors or what, like, why do you think things just kind of happened? I mean, do you have any insight into it? Um, I have a little bit. I don't know if I want to get into all that, but uh, you know, it's funny. You just, you have a plan for yourself in your head, but that doesn't mean that everyone else has the same plan. Uh, Sometimes you have to adjust. And I think maybe that's where we failed. We didn't adjust to what uh, maybe others had in mind for us. We just kind of thought, you know, we would, pick up where we left off and we didn't think maybe we should adjust our game plan. And um, I think just expectations were way different. We, we thought we'd come back with, you know, open arms and, and continue what we, we had done and continue with the momentum we had built overseas. Uh, but sometimes people have other plans for you. And, you know, looking back, it's, it sucked and it's unfortunate. We didn't have a great year, but everything happens for a reason. And I think, you know, because of the way 2019 ended up being leading into 2020 it actually set up for success in the future for me right well i know part of the frustration too is i think you weren't clearly defined you and ali like we didn't know if you were baby faces or heels 
um, sort of dependent on and, and look, I, I've said before, I'm on the record that I believe in baby faces and heels, but I also think there's room for gray area. Um, it, it brings more realism. I think what we're doing now with these sit down interviews and these matches, it's like, it's more like real people rather than proto, you know, car- archetypes, uh, good and good guys and bad guys. But at the time, at, at, during that climate, it's like you kind of needed to be a face or a heel. And we didn't really know what, what Coast to Coast was. Like you kind of got a little more aggressive at times, but then they'd throw you in there against heels. So, I mean, just it had to be frustrating. <laughs> we were in that transition phase, actually, uh, just to, to give you some insight on it. We had always been a babyface tag team. And we thought, you know what? If they're not going to welcome us back with open arms, let's take this to a different level. And if you watch some of those matches we had, even with the guys like the, um, the New Japan Young Lions, like we really amped it up to, you know, it was a different level. We were definitely way more aggressive and taking some shortcuts here and there and, and playing, as, playing off his heels. So we saw ourselves like, I was like, you know what? Let's make an opportunity for ourselves. If we're not going to get direction, let's make direction for ourselves. And we were getting there. We were, you know, we were started, you know, wrestling differently. But obviously when you start working with other heel teams, it kind of, it conf- there's conflicting stories there. And people start getting confused about who they should cheer for. And like I said, there's different expectations. In our minds, we have this plan for ourselves. But then you have other people who have different plans for you. And they don't see you doing the heel work that, that we wanted to do. So those conflicting views, from the, you know, that happens. That's life. Yeah. Yeah. And it eventually it leads to you guys breaking up the tag team. Now, was that – did you guys want to go your separate ways at that point or was it, did, did management come to you and say, it's time to split up the team? I mean, what was the thought process at that point? Yeah. You know, we had thoughts about it. You're like, you know what, this is not really working out. Maybe we can go our separate ways and then come back together later and we can build a really cool story about that. Uh, and because I was like, you know, what? it's so typical that tag teams fight each other and somebody turns on the other. And we we're like, you know what, why, why do that? Let's do something different. Let's try to, Maybe go a different path. And before we could even pitch something like that, management came up to us and was like, you know what? Hey, guys. This was, so this was actually Final Battle 2019. We were backstage and we had a meeting. And we are like, you know what? We're going to have you guys go separate ways. I think there's opportunities for you guys to grow as singles wrestlers at this point. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if Coast to Coast is going to get over anymore. Like, it's, it's kind of hit its, its limit. Um, so that's where we were. And I was like, okay, well – you know, I was a little disappointed because I feel like we had a lot of unfinished business, but at the same time, I've been working simultaneously as a singles wrestler my whole career. So I was totally ready to go. I was like, you know what, if that's not going to work, I'm going to take this and run with it and do my own thing. Yeah. And that's why I'm so happy for your success now is because being around you around, you know, in 2019, I saw, you know, the frustration, but that you, you channeled it in a positive way and that you just wanted to carve out your niche and you wanted to be involved like anyone you know what you you had that that drive and no matter what you were given you're like i'm gonna make this work and ali was the same way so that's why i was you know i'm happy to see you get through that period uh and enjoy the success you have now because again like we said everybody in ring of honor is talented uh so certainly the talent was there it's always just about opportunity and and i remember like no matter what it was you guys were taking the initiative you know because uh you know, you would talk to me about it. Like, you know, what if we film this, like you were doing stuff on your own, like let's film this behind, you know, behind the scenes and, 
and try to tell a story. And I know you guys took to social media and other platforms to try and further your own story. So certainly that, that drive was there on, on both your parts. So that persistence ultimately has led you to, I guess, you know, where, where you are now. So now that you are on your own, now that you've got some momentum as a singles wrestler, what are your thoughts as you, and I don't know if you look too far ahead or if you make short-term goals, long-term goals, whatever, but as, as you do sort of look ahead, what, what do you see the future holding for yourself? Well, I, I have a few goals in mind. So short-term, definitely just keep climbing the ranks in the TV title rankings. Um, I'm making my way there. Just had that, that big win with, uh, against Tony Deppin. I've got some big matches coming up. Um, so I just got it little by little. Uh, but I think that ultimate goal, especially for 2021, is a TV title shot and a TV title championship win. Um, I think, you know, it's time. It's time. I've been here too long to, and not, to not show any results. Um, it's put up or shut up time. And I think um, I'm building a really good, uh, you know, resume of matches. And I think, I think we're going to see that match, you know, whether it's Dragon Lee or some other champion, I, that match will happen at some point. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. That's for sure. It's been, uh, it's been fun, I think, for me and, you know, any Ring of Honor fan who's, um, who's followed your career since 2015 through the Top Prospect Tournament, all these things we've talked about along the way. I think there's a, just a gratifying feeling as a fan to see someone work their way up the ranks to now you're in this position where you're getting some attention, you're getting some focus and, and the future's bright and you're, you know, you've been around since, when did you make your pro debut? 2011 or somewhere around there? Yeah. 2011. So, but, but still a young guy, not even in your prime yet. Right. (laughs) That's, that's a good feeling too. It's like, I'm, I feel like I'm just starting to figure it out. And people who are in wrestling will, will understand that, you know, it almost takes 10 years to really start getting uh, a handle of things and really understanding who you are as a performer. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take our final break. And then if you're up for it, when we come back, play a little game we call 10 questions. Do it. All right. Back with 10 questions with LSG right after this. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag watch ROH watch party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. How do I watch ROH TV? Start by visiting ROHWrestling.com and using our zip code lookup tool to find your local listings. We aren't in your area? Don't worry. You can catch us on digital channels such as Stadium and Stir City as well as Fight.tv. ROH TV also airs every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on Best on the Planet, our newly launched 24-7 streaming channel, which is available on Stir and Plex. The newest episode of ROH TV is always free on ROHWrestling.com and the Ring of Honor app. Ring of Honor has never been easier to watch. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is LSG. It's time to play a little game we call here on the ROH Strong Podcast, 10 questions. LSG, are you ready? Let's do it. I'm ready. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? 
can be in wrestling or just in life? Wrestling Japan. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. It's it will happen. You haven't been there yet, I guess, with uh, <laughs> with our tours, you know, going over and uh, and wrestling with New Japan. But I guess that's going to happen at some. I think that's going to happen at some point. Absolutely, I see yeah, that happening. 100% will happen. All right, question number two: What's something that's popular that you just don't see the appeal of? TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like TikTok. See, that's something an old guy like me would say. I think is is uh, even you're too old for TikTok. Is that? Is I think so. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe if I get into it, I'll like become obsessed like everybody else. But right now, I'm like I'm still on the outside of it. Yeah, I have not. I have not uh, explored that yet. We'll I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I just don't get it either. And I have uh, two two daughters. One's twelve. Yeah. One's fifteen. And they'll show me these things get that get like a million views. I'm, I'm like, but it's there's nothing to it. My little eight year old nephew loves it, and I'm like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> hey, but whatever. It's cool. Kids are creating content. I mean, absolutely. Hey. Sure, there are things probably you and I were doing when we were, you know, 12 and 15 that, that, that our parents didn't get. You know. <laughs> All right. Maybe backyard wrestling was one of them, right? right? Yeah. All right. Question number three. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Ooh. Um, astrology. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Ace of space, right? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely something I feel like I want to educate myself a little bit more about. All right, question number four: Who was your celebrity crush growing up, or if you have one now? I don't want to get you in any trouble, you know. But uh, do you have one now? Celebrity crush growing. Okay, I had a couple. All right, um, I loved Hillary Banks from Fresh Prince. <laughs> Her. Um, and obviously the Pink Ranger from Power Rangers, <laughs> big crush on her when I was a kid. Um, and then today, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a big Gal Gadot fan. I love Wonder Woman. I can't argue with that one. Can't argue with that one. Not, um, I'll be honest. I'm not familiar with the Pink Power Ranger. But, <laughs> uh, Wonder Woman, I get. I, let me ask you this to see if this will yeah. date me. Let's see if it dates you. Uh, do you remember the TV Wonder Woman, Linda oh, Carter? Of course, yeah. Of course. I don't know if you were too young for that. No, I, yeah, I'm, I know her. <laughs> okay. That Wonder Woman suit was just uh, defied gravity, but you defy gravity, right? Isn't that one of your calling cards? <laughs> yep. <laughs> but in a, in a different way than Linda Carter. But we're going down a rabbit hole here that I think we should uh, jump out of. Uh, question number five. Do you have any hidden talents? You good at something that we don't know about? Uh, sort of. I'm ambidextrous, which is weird. I can, yeah, I'm, I'm ambidextrous and I can draw. I'm okay. So, so were you a switch hitter in baseball? Yeah. Yeah. So naturally, what's what? I was I was actually naturally righty, but I think I discovered that I was actually better lefty um, <laughs> later in my career. And actually, I throw both left and right. I I've thrown like complete games righty and righty and lefty. I, I pitched. Really. Means righty and yeah, because you'd have to switch. You're technically a separate pitcher if you switch hands. So I would start righty and then finish the game lefty. That's almost unfair to your opponents. <laughs> Question number six: Do you have a guilty pleasure? Something that you like that uh, you might be uh, 
not necessarily willing to admit to the to the general public. Oh man, I th okay. There may be a couple TV shows I like. Um, that I guess I, I can Riverdale. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> That's like a high school kids kind of thing, isn't it? Well, it's uh, okay. It's Archie. It's basically Archie comics. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, a darker take, a little more sinister, mysterious take on, on the characters. But is it is it geared more towards like uh, teens or am I off days? Young twenties, I guess. Yeah, it's more adolescent, but it's a little serious too. Okay. A lot of murder and mystery and things like that. Wow, wow. I didn't <laughs> know Archie was into into all that dark stuff. Yeah. It's like Archie and Jughead in this. Yeah, yeah, they are. It's oh. funny, my, my parents, like, they came up with Archie and they had Archie comics and all that. I'm like, no, it's a little bit different than that. <laughs> a little more serious. Okay. Well, I like dark stuff. I might have to check that out. All right. Question number seven. What's the first concert that you attended? Ooh. Mm. Oh, this is a, I don't remember. You know that? Um... I'll say this. I'll, I know the big, the first big concert I went to, uh, Chili Peppers, which okay. is, yeah. That's a good one. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now, was this them, because uh, I know they've played a lot of like festivals and stuff. Was this a festival or was just this them headlining a show? They were on tour. Yeah, they were on tour and they, they played in New Jersey. Is this, is this the era when they would like come out wearing socks and nothing else? Oh, uh, no. I'm, unfortunately, it wasn't. I, I wish I had seen that. <laughs> That sounds that sounded ridiculous. I've seen a lot of that of those old concerts, but this was this is what their their newer um, guitar. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're a little a little tame. <laughs> yeah, that Flea was a madman. Like I could see him in the pro wrestling. Hell yeah, he'd be great. <laughs> All right, question number eight. Uh, a little more serious question. What's the best advice that you've been given about the wrestling industry, uh, and who gave it to you, if you remember? Hmm. Okay, I, I've got it actually. So when I first started, uh, some of my first matches were actually with Beyond Wrestling back in the day, and it was a guy who, um, he, he was a guy from like Michigan, uh, really really too talented, like high flyer guy. He did, he did some like Dragon Gate stuff. He told me once is he he pulled me aside. And he's like Geo. He's like you're a good kid. He's like keep keep just doing what you're doing, and let all the uh, I don't want to say I don't want to cuss on here but let, let all the guys who are going to make mistakes let them fall to the side and just keep doing what you're doing um because in wrestling there's going to be a lot of good people bad people and the good ones will prevail in the end it's just keep doing what you're doing and just stay the course and i'll, I'll always stick with that yeah well that's excellent advice for sure all right question number nine have you ever had a paranormal experience uh and if not do you believe in the existence of the paranormal? I do believe. I absolutely believe. Um, but I haven't had a true experience yet. Um, I love that feeling of being scared. And um, if the opportunity presents itself when I go back to Alaska in April, I'm definitely going to check out some haunted places. Um, I actually passed through a, a town that was very old and had a eerie feeling and there's actually a haunted hotel there so if it's open i'm definitely going to try to stay a night there okay well you just let me let me backtrack a second there when were you in alaska i've actually been there three times already for wrestling so oh. i've been there three times the last within the last two years and i'm going again for the fourth time for a 10-day five event tour in april 
you don't hear a lot about the wrestling scene in Alaska. <laughs> we're, we're creating it right now, actually. We're molding. All right. All right. Question number 10. This is the final question. Uh, and I want your honest opinion on this. Who is the best baseball player to come through Ring of Honor? Is it you, TK Orion, or Ian Riccoboni? Oh, man, Ian. I got to go with Ian. I got to go with Ian Riccoboni. He's a stud. He's a stud. What, what, what position did you play? I was a shortstop. Okay. Well, so I know you were good because they always put the best kid at shortstop. <laughs> I did footwork. Soft hands. Soft hands, good good footwork. But yeah, Ian's a beast. And he's still a beast. I'm sure he could keep playing if he wanted to, just for fun. But he, he's, he is a beast. People don't realize it. I think he was a catcher, too. So I, yeah, he, I think he'd still be good if he wanted to play. Okay. All right. Well, uh, do you still uh, you get in the batting cage at all, or do you do you, are you completely done with baseball? Funny that you say that because I was actually planning on going today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with our bubble our bubble schedule, I was like, you know what? Why not play some some travel baseball? There's some really high, really good leagues around here with guys who play. Um, it's like off season college players and things like that, amateur players. And I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, why not? Can't hurt. So. Yeah. thinking about it but uh yeah i mean i go from time to time it's a good therapy for me and i love i, I just love hitting the cages and, and just getting the workout in all right very cool just don't uh don't go down that softball oh no no uh, and and yeah. you remember sid vicious back in the day oh yeah sid, sid got known more for like softball tournaments <laughs> yeah he got more known for like playing softball that like it took priority over wrestling so i don't want to see that happen to you no i don't think so i <laughs> Yeah, I don't see that happening for you either. All right, man. Well, hey, I, I just want to say thanks so much uh, for your time today, man. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And like I said, uh, I'm, I'm very happy for your success because I know how much you wanted it, how hard you've worked for it. And um, man, I just can't wait to see what you do going forward. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. All right. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And I want to remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. So keep it locked on the ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, you can read my column, X-Files, every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.